Are you ready to study the scripture? Get your Bible out and turn to Colossians 3, verse 1, and uh, we're going to go back and forth between Colossians 3 and Romans 8. And so uh, put your finger in Colossians 1, go over to Romans 8, just a few chapters over, and, um, and we'll go kind of flip-flop between these two passages as we continue our series called Roots, which is a journey through the book of Colossians. Colossians is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a little city called Colossae just in modern-day Turkey, about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And, uh, and so it's a little group of people that Paul had never met, but he was writing them out of deep concern and love for them as people of God who've, who've made a confession of faith. And he's really communicating to them within this book that he wants them to be rooted in who Christ is. And, and he, he spends a considerable amount of time at the front of the, of the letter talking about who Christ is and what he's done and how supreme and how he reigns over all and the power that he has. But then he sends, spends the second half of the book going into, here's how that should affect your life. Here's what it looks like to be rooted in Christ. If we were to um, you know, look at our key verse, it essentially says, just as you've received Jesus as Lord then continue to live in him. So it's not enough to make a one-time commitment. You must continue to live in him. And it says you should be rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so today we're going to talk about how Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see Jesus as he really is? Would you give us revelation and illumination within our hearts about this scripture? Holy Spirit, be active. Speak to us today and, and give us the grace that we need then to obey. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump right into it and begin to read verse 1. Here it is, halfway through the letter, the Apostle Paul says, kind of comes to a conclusion. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Notice this is, the, the tense is past. He's saying, since you've discovered who Christ is, since you've been raised with him in power, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So two different times he's said this, once about our heart, once about our mind. Another way to say it would be set your affections on things above where Christ is. Set your attention on things above. See the world and the experience that you're having in the world. See the earth and your interaction with it through a different perspective than just where you are or how you live. See it through Christ. Verse 3 says, for you died and your life is now hidden. Your life is hidden. Where is it hidden? It's hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, everybody say, Christ who is your life. Say it, Christ who is your life. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's, he's defining, I love this little phrase, Christ who is your life. You should take your pen and you should underline it. You ever heard anybody say, uh, you know, music is her life? 
You know, uh, maybe you might say sports is his life, man. He just loves it. He just, or somebody would say he's really into his work. His, his work really defines him, really defines his life. For the Christian, that's a problem. For the Christian, none of that will work because the only defining of our life that we can have is Christ. And what happens as we define our lives in Christ, as he becomes the center and everything else begins to spin out from that centerpiece, from that priority, then he, we begin to live our lives. We begin to enjoy our play. We begin to enjoy our family. We begin to build our lives around who Christ is. So Christ is our life. He is the very definition. If you look at John 14, 6, Jesus said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the Life. He said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Everything has to come through me. Everything has to be seen through me. Everything in your life has to be understood through me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, as he's talking about this, of course, he's not saying that you, you need to somehow escape from the world. We're not talking about escapism or some kind of supernatural spiritual reality that has no integration with real life. The, 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 the fundamental foundation of Christianity is the idea that heaven comes to earth. Heaven invades earth. That's why Jesus told us when he, when he said, this is how you ought to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in as it is in heaven so whatever's done on, on in heaven let that be done on earth the idea of the gospel is heaven coming to earth that's what happened with Jesus as he came to earth and began to redefine a new era a new reality a new kingdom a new age and so we're not talking about escaping from this world we're talking about including god in everything that we do in this world Paul is not talking about being so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Do you know people like this? Yes. Kind of, their heads are in the clouds, but they don't really pay attention to, to the, re, the reality of life here. They don't seem to bridge the gap between their faith and what's really happening in their lives. By the way, there's two ways to do this. One is they're just super spiritual people and got their head thinking about angels and all that kind of stuff all the time, and they can't keep a job. Or, sorry, or they're the kind of people that say that they believe in Christ and they talk about him and they think about him, but then when it comes down to it, they do what they want. It's two different kinds of people that are sort of dismantling their life with Christ here on earth. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about a, a new way of looking, a, a perspective that he wants everybody to have. He wants their minds to be set in the right place in their spirit. If you go back to, over to Romans 8, as you held, held your finger there, just flip over to there and we'll read back and forth. Verse 5 in chapter 8, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind that is controlled, directed by the flesh is death. 
But the mind governed or controlled by the spirit is life and peace. I like to say it. Yes, the Holy Spirit is into mind control. He's into mind control. He's wanting to direct your steps. He doesn't want to make you a zombie. He doesn't want to make you an unthinking person. Now let's pause here and articulate this. You don't check your mind at the door when you come to church. You don't, you don't check your intellect at the door when you're living your life with Christ. In fact, it's the opposite. Because Paul is writing not about just seeing heaven, in your, in your view or your perspective. He wants you to think heaven. He wants you to think about your life from a new perspective. If you go down to verse 10 in Colossians, if you flip back over there, you'll see that verse 10, he says, since you've taken off your old self as a practice and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge it's being renewed. We're being renewed in knowledge, new knowledge, new understanding. Where do we get this knowledge and new understanding? We get it from Christ. We get it from the work of his spirit. We get it from, from seeing everything through him and his image. We're being made into the image of our creator when we think this way. And so we're not talking about being stupid. We're not talking about uh, not using our mind. We're talking about just the opposite. Surrendering and yielding and thinking about how our lives can make sense by seeking. When he says set your heart, he means seek after the things that are in heaven. Seek after these things and see them. So we don't withdraw from the world, we engage with it and then we begin to change it. We don't withdraw from the world, we begin to engage with it and by our own mind and by our own heart and aware of the people around us, we begin to have an impact and an influence on the world around us. This is the premise that Paul is talking about. Some of you know that I, I'm from Colorado, and uh, I, I love Colorado, but uh, since I moved to Texas, it is a thing of beauty. Colorado is beautiful, but I don't like snow in May. And I don't know what's up with this winter in Texas, but come on, people, let's get to springtime. Uh, but I, I lived in Colorado, and I was a fan of the Denver Broncos, and uh, it's been, I continue to be a fan of the Denver Broncos, but it's been enough weeks since the Super Bowl that I can talk about it publicly. <laughs> it's really sad, sad how much they got pummeled, um, but there's always next year. But I, I had the opportunity one time to sing the national anthem um, in, on the field at a Denver Broncos game. And so I, I did it with my brother Brent and my other brother Brad. We had this little trio, and we'd sing the national anthem. And, and we sang, you know, we've been singing since we were kids. And so we did it a lot of places. And so we auditioned, and they said, yeah, uh, come and, and sing before a game. So we did it. It was awesome. And it was cool. We got our little badges, you know, on the sidelines. And you got your little lanyard, and you can be there with all the important people and all the players. So the players get introduced, and they come out on the, on the field, and they're out there. And we're waiting on the sidelines, getting ready to go on and sing. And so they're coming off the field, and we're going onto the field, and they are massive. It is humongoloid. I mean, just like ridiculous, so monstrous. They're just like giant stampeding tree trunks. And I'm, you know, here I am, skinny, scrawny dude. And I'm like, I, we're trying to, you know, like go around them to get to 
midfield, 50-yard line where we're going to sing. I'm carrying the microphone stand, and we're getting there, and I'm, finally I'm, I'm high-fiving <laughs> a couple guys. You know, I got the stand in one of them. I'm high-fiving. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And then I get out. The last guy comes on the field, and I'm like, yeah, and he doesn't even see me. He just totally stands me up in front of the 70,000 people. I'm like, yeah. So we get out there and we're, we're on the field and we, and, and, we, and we sing the song. It's awesome. It's fun. And uh, then afterwards, the, the wonderful blessing is you get to go to a place called the Champions Club. Mm-hmm. This is like heaven on earth because it has every snack known to mankind. Every wonderful football game snack that you'd ever want. It has both cheese fountain for nachos and chocolate fountain. When you have cheese fountains and chocolate fountains in the same place, I mean, you know this is an otherworldly place. So, so we're up there. We get perfect seats, awesome. I mean, the, the, right there looking down on the field. It is brilliant. And, uh, and you can see every play develop. You can see kind of the, the, the scope of the game in such a totally different way than you can down on the sidelines. On the sidelines, those guys looked huge. But up here, it's like... Oh, that I can see this whole thing and how it's happening, how it's developing. And I think in a similar way, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to see things from a different point of view. I don't want you to look at everything from the ground level point of view because all the problems look bigger. All the struggles look massive. It seems like you're, you're, you're not going to win. <laughs> but if you'll see things from my perspective, if you'll, if you'll join me in my perspective of what's happening on the earth... If you'll join my viewpoint, my new reality, if you'll see it, you can see. You don't always know how the play's going to come out, but you can work with me because you can see it coming. This is what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to say to these believers. So Christ's life, how does it work? In these first four verses, we find a, a three things, three ideas, all right? I'm just going to, I want you to write them down. The three, three ideas. Number one, resurrection life is different than ordinary life. I know this seems this is deep. Just stay with me. Resurrection life is different than ordinary life. And here's what I mean. Ordinary life is worrisome, weighty, full of anxiety. But resurrection life, when you, when you, when you live life in Christ, raised in Christ, it, you get confidence and courage. Ordinary life is leads to death. I mean, just your ordinary life. My, you're in my ordinary life. We are one day closer to death than we were yesterday. <laughs> I'll be here all week with good news. We're, you're just, you're, we're just going on a path, and we're closer to death now than we've ever been. So ordinary life just leads us to death. But resurrection life, actually for the Christian, for the believer, leads to eternal life. It leads to eternal life. It, ordinary life can be defeating but resurrection life is victorious. Ordinary life is a struggle, but resurrection life brings strength and power into our lives. This is the perspective. If you turn back over to Romans 8, we'll continue with that in verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. In the, not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, 
In other words, in, in, just even though your body is decaying because of living in a fallen, sinful world, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, because of right standing with God, because of being connected with God. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Hey, people, that's a pretty big if. If the Spirit... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big pivot. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. We live in a different reality now. We live in a different way of seeing the world. Number two, our, no, not only is our ordinary life different than resurrection life, but our life disappears and, our, and Christ's life begins to be revealed. Our life goes away. We want our life to stay somehow. We like Christ coming in and joining our life. We like, we like to keep our life and then get a little Christ's life at, at, as well. That doesn't work. You can't actually, it's really sad, you can't actually accept the life of Christ, unless you're willing to give up your own life. And it's really hard to just be half dead. It's like the princess bride. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> you can't be mostly dead. <laughs> you die, your life is hidden with Christ. The, the Greeks had a, a way that they would speak about people who died, and they would say they are hidden in the earth. And if they're hidden in the earth, then, then, then they're, they've gone the way of all mankind. They've, they've died, and they're hidden now. Their lives are hidden. For the Christian, this is, this is not true. For the Christian, your life is hidden. Your, the death that you die of your flesh allows you to be hidden in Christ, and then Christ's life begins to be revealed. His life takes over. He, he begins to define our lives. We are united with him. Galatians 2.20 I'll just put it up on the screen. This is what Paul said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. You know what crucifixion is, right? He said, I've been crucified. Not just Jesus has been crucified, but I, I get crucified. I choose to identify with Christ by my life becoming crucified, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, right here, this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't live by sight. I don't live by touch. I don't live by legalistic rules and regulations. I don't live religiously by things other people tell me I have to do or don't do. Or I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's a, that's a pretty awesome idea. Christ's life begins to be revealed in our life. Then number three, Christ's life begins to determine everything. Christ's life begins to determine my actions, my attitudes, and my ambitions. There's a problem in Christianity when we don't let the truth of the gospel make its way out of our hearts into our actions, into our attitudes and emotions, and into our deepest ambitions. There's a problem there. I hesitate... I would hesitate to say that that's even Christianity. A Christianity that is just dealing with spiritual issues that never makes its way into the reality of your own flesh and your own mind isn't really 
what Christ is talking about here, what Paul is talking about here. It's not what the Bible teaches. But Christ's life begins to determine uh, everything else around us. We approach our world with a new set of values, a new set of convictions. Things that, that um, the world thinks are really important are no longer that important to us. Ambitions that we used to have or that dominate the world and its thinking are not that important to us. We have different ambitions. So we begin to practice giving above getting. We begin to practice serving against overruling and trying to conquer other people. We begin to forgive in the face of wrongs instead of avenging a wrong. And so all theology has to make its way to real life. We can say it, we can believe it, we can talk about it, but it's got to make its way to the real thing, all right, to the real day-to-day reality. And that's what happens here in the Apostle Paul because the next passage is going to tell us what, how it needs to look. He's going to say, I want you to take off some things, I want you to put on some other things. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The King James Version says, mortify your members, Mortify your members. It sounds very ominous, doesn't it? (laughs) I have to mortify my members. I think that idea is probably closer to what Paul was saying because he's saying, you've got to put these guys to death. You've got to really be, you've got to give yourself up. You can't be mostly dead. You have to actually give it all up. You have to be ruthless. You have to be willing to surrender totally if you're going to accept the life that Christ has for you. So he says, put to death Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Most of these ideas have to do with sexual immorality. One way to read this passage would be sexual immorality and then everything that comes after it would be alternative descriptions of sexual immorality. Even greed comes down to just getting whatever you want. Whatever you see, that's what I want. I just go get it. People in our culture think that that's a virtue. Whatever I see, I just go get it like a bull. That's another movie. It's a a third service, people. What do you want? It's 1230. Anybody know what that movie is? It's it's great. It's It's a... uh, Groundhog Day. I like a bull. Okay, anyway. People think that's a virtue, but greed is really this thing that will destroy your life because you will become enslaved to whatever you want. And so, you, so you, whatever you see, you just want it, whatever it takes, and then he says, this is idolatry because idolatry is taking whatever is created and putting it above the creator and making it most important in your life. Serving it rather than serving God. It is, it's idolatry. And, and listen, in our society, sexual immorality is idolatrous. It's pervasive. It's, it's in our secular society and it's in the church. And this is a problem because it's a picture of whether or not we're living our lives in Christ or not. There's two, there's two things here he's talking about. He's, first, the two obvious indicators of whether our lives are in Christ. The first one has to do with sex. And, and that 
That means what he's trying to say is, look, your bodies don't belong to you. You can't, you can't live like this and your body belong to Christ. If you live like this, your body doesn't belong to Christ and you, you're, you're, you're not living your life in him. He's, he, says, he says, you've got to understand that sexual intimacy has definition. It has boundaries. And sexual intimacy is designed to be between a man and a woman within the context of the covenant of marriage. A commitment, a deep and abiding commitment of love, that's where, that's where sexuality has its, uh, its full expression. Make no mistake, we're, humans are, are sexual beings. This, it's not evil. It's only, it's only evil if you don't practice it the way God gave us to practice it. You have to see Christ's life as orchestrating and organizing all of your decisions, decisions regarding your sexuality. And once you do, some, things begin to change. You see everything from a different point of view. Um, but if you don't, your mind, your will, your emotions, your, all, everything you are, look, sex is not just physical, it's, it's spiritual too. This is the thing people don't get. They're like, oh, it's just two people just doing their thing physically. It doesn't matter. No, that's not it. You're missing the point. In Colossians, the, what he's teaching is, look, there's physical elements and there's spiritual elements. Don't get hung up on all the physical stuff. Don't try to, the do's and the don'ts of, of, of legalism. Don't get hung up on how, don't taste, don't touch. Don't, those all look like they're spiritual, but it's just religion that's empty of relationship with God. He says, don't, don't, don't live like that. Instead, bring God's perspective into your physical realm. Bring the spiritual view of heaven and how God's will is done in heaven and bring it to earth. Bring it here. Put spiritual and physical together and live your life in honor to him. So the second thing that we see in this passage is he's saying, verse 6, uh, because of these the wrath of God is coming. I'm, just, I'm not going to say much about this, but let me pause and say, we don't talk about the wrath of God very much. We don't like it. But the truth is, for everyone who rejects Christ, for everyone who decides, I'm not going to yield my life to God, for everyone who rejects the gift, the offer of love to, do, to have a relationship with God, they live under the wrath of God. They live under God's wrath. And that, that, that has a, see, the wrath of God is coming. And people don't like it. It's scary. But, it, but I think it comes in two ways. It comes at the end of all time in the, when the judge, the one who is in charge of all things, will evaluate. But it also comes immediately if we don't live according to the life that Christ has for us. That wrath comes on us. It destroys us. It violates us. So he says, the wrath of God is coming, but verse 7 says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Right, notice what he's saying. You don't live like this anymore. This isn't you. He's essentially saying, look, this is how you used to act. This is not how you act now. And here's why. But now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image 
of its creator. The second idea that he's saying, he's talking about sex. The second idea he's talking about is speech. And I just pause to say this real quick. Our words determine so much of life and relationships. The way we, what we say to people, the way we communicate, the way we interact with others, defined largely by our words. Proverbs says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. If you, if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's what James said. James 3.2, he says, if you can control your tongue, you're a perfect man and you can control all your body. If you can control your tongue, and if you think about, now this is not an exhaustive list. Paul is not talking about an exhaustive list that he's covering. He's just mentioning the things that are pivotal to their culture. Just some things that they would really be dealing with. And I think it's similar to what's in our culture. Sex and speech are two big deals in our culture. The way we treat people, the way we communicate, the way every reality show TV show was so ridiculous and the things that people say, they think everybody has permission to say anything that they think. Can I mention this to you? It is not the, the honest person who says whatever he thinks. I'm just saying what, I'm just being honest. No, you're being a fool. The person who says whatever they think is a fool. Okay, our speech, our speech changes when we have a life in Christ. We put to death the flesh and we begin to, and the spirit begins to give us life. And so if you flip over to Romans 8, we'll read that real quick in verse 12. You know, we've read through that passage just a little bit. Now we're at verse 12. And so here's what Paul said. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die already established that, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Ooh, ooh, that's a big phrase right there. Take your pen, underline it. But if by the Spirit you don't put to death your flesh by your own willpower, by your own strength, by your own intellect, by your own ideas, you don't do it by your own religion, you don't do it with, just with other people, you don't do it with accountability. <laughs> you do it by the Spirit of, of God, by the Spirit of Christ that's living in you, which only happens when you'll choose to surrender your flesh to Him. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Surrendering your flesh to God is hard. It's what Paul said in Galatians 2 when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Crucifixion is not fun. Okay, but it's not working to make yourself better. It's actually surrendering to the work of Christ. And so that, this, is the, this is the wonder. This is the, the incredible thing about what we're, what we're looking at here. And so, and so most people don't understand what happens when we are being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. But look at what he's saying in verse 11. He says, in this new perspective, this new orientation, this new reality. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in Christ, the new reality tears down barriers between people. 
In Christ, the new reality tears down all the barriers that separate people. All the things that make you angry and mad at one another, he says those things are beginning to be torn down. The, the ideas that keep you from accepting one another as you really are. He's, first thing he says, Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile. Gentiles were not God's chosen. The Jews were special. That's all broken down, and God says, look, you all belong to me. When you surrender to Christ, you all become one people. He describes it with, uh, with, with circumcised and uncircumcision, ceremonial issues. It doesn't matter. Th those are not barriers anymore. Uh, barbarian or Scythian, cultured or uncultured, uh, class, distinction, slave or free, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You're all one. The name One Chapel comes from this idea comes from Jesus praying in John 17 when he said, Father, make them one like we are one so that the world, he gave a reason, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Here's what's true. When God's people can give up their rights, their own labels, their own insistence on, on how they define themselves, when they give that up, and they're defined by Christ in his life. There is nothing that they can't do together. There's nothing we can't do together, One Chapel, in Austin, if we could grasp and begin to practice this mystery of Christ coming alive in us in a new way. And so, as God's chosen people, here we go, he, he says... Uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, in verse 12, he says, I want you to clothe yourselves with compassion. Everybody say compassion. compassion. Kindness, Kindness. Humility, humility, gentleness, gentleness. and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So take the two lists. Take the list up the top. All the sexual immorality, all the, all the crude and cruel speech, mistreatment of one another, anger and, and, and malice towards each other. And, and think about a town or a city that lives based on those. And then think of another city on the second list that has to do with the way there are no distinctions between classes and no fighting, and that there are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving when people mess up, and love that covers over. Which town do you want to live in? The second one. It's foolishness when you look at it, but what Paul is saying is he's not saying, try really hard not to be that town that lives in the, in the first town. He's saying, if you'll live your life, surrender to Christ, these things will begin to express themselves and you'll make the city you live in into God's design and desire. Hey, 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 that's the point of living in Austin. We need to make it a place where we're influencing it according to the scripture and according to God's life and his desire for people. So, so that we're living in this way. And he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts since 
as members of one body, you were called to peace. You, you may have heard this before, but it's, it, it, the, the symbol is a, almost like a sports analogy where he's talking about let the, let the peace of Christ be the umpire or the determiner, the decider about how you handle things with people, about what you do. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this idea, whatever you do. Whatever you do. We're back to the top, aren't we? In the chapter at verse 1. When you, whatever, all the things you see, the perspective, you, you look at everything differently. Whatever you do, love becomes the general rule. He says, on everything, over everything, put on love. You know what that means? That means put love as the general rule for every circumstance. Can you put that up there, Abby? Love is the general rule for every single circumstance. You don't know what to do? Just love them. <laughs> Not sure what the right answer is? Love them. <laughs> you think they deserve something other than love? Love them. <laughs> Peace becomes the decision maker in relationships. Peace. We're dealing with each other. We're dealing with unity. We're dealing with how to share our lives with each other. You have a fight with somebody? Guess what? You got to make up with them. Yeah. You don't have a choice. In the kingdom of God, in, in the way of looking at earth through heaven's point of view, you have to settle that dispute somehow. You can't just leave it hanging out there like a big hemorrhage. <laughs> the body of Christ is hemorrhaging when people fight with each other and they don't fix it. And then it ruins the whole design and purpose of God putting people together to influence culture. And they just look at us and say, they can't even get along with each other. What's wrong with them? The word, worship, gratitude become the way that we teach each other, the way that we challenge one another. This is what Paul has in mind. He's not talking about working on these things. He's talking about letting these things spring up within us as we live together in a different kind of community, a different kind of people. We're not hung up on sin all the time. We're not focused and fixated on sin, trying to defeat it. We're fixated on Jesus and his life for us. We're treating each other with respect and generosity. We're developing a culture that others are actually attracted to. We begin to influence everyone around us with this culture in kingdom life. But we're not doing it in our own strength. If you go back to Romans 8, I want to read verse 1, and I want you to listen to what he says and how clear it sounds here. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not living in condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, you can't do it on your own and you can't do it with the law. You can't force yourself to do it by law. That's impossible. So he sends his son in to be in the likeness of sinful flesh and to be a sin offering, he says. And so he condemned sin, so he takes care of sin in the flesh and he settles it. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. I don't have to pay the penalty for our sin, for my sin. And I can just 
rely, trust, believe, repent, accept the work of Christ as, my, as the sacrifice for my sin. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We don't work to measure up for Christ. We yield and let Christ measure us. We don't, we don't work to measure up for him. That's not what these two lists are. These two lists are, are, are a look at how life looks through the lens of with Christ and without Christ. But we don't work to measure up for Christ. We yield. We surrender. And then we let Christ begin to evaluate us. We surrender to his evaluation. We surrender to his opinion. We surrender to his life alone. That is a powerful idea that if you can discover it, it will change the way you think and the way you believe. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. Three practical things, and I'm just going to be real quick, and I don't want you to put them up here, Abby, until I say them. I'm going to tell you about something called First 15, and then I'm going to tell you about your second family, and I'm going to tell you about your thir the third person. First 15, second family, third person. You ready? First 15. If you want to set your mind and heart on things above, you have to spend some time every day very early in the day, focusing your attention. There's just no way around it. I take my little smartphone, my little iPhone 5, and I put it on Pandora, and I turn it on, and I take it to my prayer closet, and I just sit there, and I just begin to set my mind on Jesus, and I begin to worship him. And then I'll, I'll, I'll say a prayer, Lord, help me today. I got this meeting and that meeting. I, I need your strength. I need your wisdom. Lord, I just give my life to you and I choose to follow you today. And then I read a passage from the one-year Bible. Now, what you're going to discover is <laughs> you got to have more than 15 minutes. But I don't want to freak you out by saying you should spend an hour with Jesus every day because you guys would just like, no, I can't do that. I'm too busy. Really? Start with 15 and see what happens. Start with 15. You can handle 15. Second family, you gotta, you, you can't just, stay, you can't, it's not just about an individual practice of your spirituality. You have to be with a, a family of believers. Your first family is the family you're born into. The second family is this family right here, this community. If you're just attending church and trying to live with a perspective of heaven, it's not going to work. You got to live with other people in a community for feedback and encouragement to be challenged. You got to join a connect group. You got to get involved in a team. Come tonight to grow and jump in and be surrounded by people who will help you in your second family. And finally, the third person, the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and He's the one who whispers to you throughout the day. He's the one who reminds you of what how you started the day. He's the one who brings a scripture to your memory for just the right moment. He's the one who brings ideas to your mind at work that aren't even spiritual ideas. They're just practical ideas for you to get through the day because you live your life centered around Christ. Do you catch that? This is the way you begin. There are many other things we can do. There are all kinds of other uh, ways we can see this, but these are really super practical beginning steps to setting your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray.
just want you to listen to the voice of God's spirit that might be speaking to you and saying, I want you to, I want you to make a fresh start today. Some of you have been living frustrated and angry. You've been living kind of in your own perspective of life and you're just, everything's just taking over your mind and your heart. I wonder if today you'd be willing to say, Pastor, I, 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 need, I need to make a commitment to seeing everything from Christ's perspective, from, from life that only comes from Him. I've been living my life for myself. I'm doing whatever I want to. I say whatever I want to. I do whatever I want to just because that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. But today you're realizing you need to make a commitment to Christ and you need to yield to Him. And today, this is your first step. This is your first moment. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I want you to respond and I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, please pray for me. It doesn't matter if you've prayed this prayer a hundred times before or never. If that's you and you feel and you hear and you, you're sensitive to the voice of the Spirit speaking to you, say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm committing my life today. I'm making a fresh start. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Right now. Yep, I see you down here. Yep, back here in the back, way back in the back. Anybody else? Yeah, way, way back here, right in the middle. This, this, is, this is the best decision you can make. I see you, brother. This is the best decision you can make. Restart. Jesus is not worried about your ability to rip off the, the junk of your life. He... He wants to do it for you. He wants to work with you. So let's pray this prayer. Everybody together, pray with me. I'm going to give you the words, and you're going to speak it out, but pray it from your heart. Come on, all over the room, everybody across the room, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows me the way to lay down my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. Forgive me for doing my own thing, going my own way, rejecting you instead of chasing after you. I choose you today. I choose to follow you. Forgive me. Heal me. Cleanse me. I repent and I offer my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my life. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer today, that you would give them the strength and the grace to walk it out, that this decision, meaningful in this moment, begins to be, begins a pursuit of who you are and your life in them. Lord, would you seal the work that you're doing now in their hearts, in the name of Christ.